Good morning church family. I apologize for not posting this past week, but this is going to be a two-parter and I didn't want to share this until I knew it was written to completion. Sometimes life gets busy, and I didn't want this to get lost in the shuffle. A few weeks ago, I was strongly impressed to write from the title, Unbroken Chains. I was kind of intimidated by it, because come on God, we all know that you're the chain breaker. What unbroken chains do we have? But as I've come to understand in the last few weeks, there's some subtle lies I fear we've been holding on to, and I would like to first show us what it is and break it down. Then, in the second part, I want to let the Spirit breathe new life into this mindset and hopefully show us how to break free, once and for all. This one's going to take some time, so please be patient. It's going to be well worth the read. The Bible talks about Satan in a number of different ways and in a number of different places. From serpent to dragon, from lion to beast, the images conjured up are usually ones of a fierce creature, once mighty and beautiful now brought pitifully low, angry and prowling the earth searching for vengeance. I know it's been taught before that, God tells long stories when preaching about the prodigal son, but God tells long stories about Satan too. And it's important to look at the end of it, because the principles behind why the liar works the way he does are so powerful, and not understanding them can halt us from walking in victory time and time again. So let's talk about it. Where does his story start, where does it end, and what does it have to do with the title? Ezekiel 28:12 sticks out to me as the beginning of God's retelling of the story of Lucifer's fall, and it begins with an interesting choice in words. It says, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, a lament is normally risen up with great mourning, a painful cry against a horrible loss. Take up a lament against the one who I once loved so dearly, but has fallen so far. As Ezekiel goes on to describe he was, the seal of perfection, and was anointed and ordained until wickedness, or iniquity as many translations phrase it, was found in him. Now God had to deal with me here, I had no idea what wickedness really was. It's found in so many scriptures surrounding repentance, but I just never got it. Wickedness, in the Hebrew language, is Ra. But Ra isn't evil necessarily, Ra is going against the pre-ordered grain of things. Ra is, as an article I'll link at the end states, that action of destroying the purpose, or the design of it. In terms of Lucifer, when it states that wickedness was found in him, it's showing us that all that anointing, all that wisdom, all that beauty had been, for all intents and purposes, destroyed. Pride destroys purpose. Pride perverts the design and the order of his creation. But pride is not the point of this post. Rise up a lament concerning my once beloved, mourn what he could have become, but then look at where he'll go. A ruin, a darkness and a blight. Israel at one point was known as a wicked generation, in part because they had begun to believe the lie that had convinced them that they were above the punishment of God, blinded to the chains that were keeping them bound, not to hope, but to a hardened heart. But we live in an age of grace where our sins don't have to kill our purpose. Where we can repent freely and repeatedly, as many times as it takes to learn to walk in victory and freedom and faith. But the story of Lucifer's fall has more to tell us. Let's look now at a parallel verse in Isaiah. It says in chapter 14 16-19, They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet. According to these verses Lucifer isn't much to look at. In his fallen state, he is nothing more than sad, bitter and brooding. This is the one that made the earth tremble? 
This is the one that plotted those Christians fall? Pastor Anthony preached one time about a word that sums up just how worthless he had become, Belial. A synonym in our present day for Satan, the great deceiver, the serpent known as the devil. Worthless, good for nothing but to be stepped on on your way to greater things, worthless like the salt that was thrown on the roads in Jesus' day when it had lasted saltiness wicked and without purpose. This is who Lucifer had become. But that is not who we have to be. But there's one more part of the story that needs to be told before we can complete the pattern that seems to so easily befall us in the background. For it is in Revelation that we see the finality of his punishment, in an eternal torment far away from where he once called home. Revelation 21-3 says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. The angel that God had once called perfect in all his ways, for thousands upon thousands of years since being cast out of heaven, Lucifer, who had spent countless ages seething and hunting to break the purpose of man, like his purpose had been broken, would be loosed for a little season after being chained up. But then he would fall, like he had always fallen, into the bottomless pit along with the angels he had deceived, and every man, woman and child he dragged with him. But can I encourage you before I give the revelation? We are not him, and he has no power. His chains are the only ones that cannot be broken. Whatever sin we fight against, whatever wrath persists, it can be overcome. Our story is not his story. And his lies do not have to determine where and when our souls will rest. If you'll allow me just a little longer, as my pastor often says to light laughter, I'm hurrying to a close. God works in principles and patterns, but so does Satan. And the only pattern that he knows how to follow is the pattern of his own making, and the anatomy of his past, present and future fall. You see, even though our sins might have different roots and our purposes are still intact through His Spirit, His mercy and His grace, the way we feel after our failings has a striking resemblance to the Scripture's retelling of how all would react to His fall. Ezekiel 28 18-19 says, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee, thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. This is the root of condemnation. Lucifer wants us to feel the same intense scrutiny that he did from the ones he knew before the fall, the great shame, and the terrible disappointment. Condemnation puts us in his shoes, in that moment, and makes us think sometimes that the world and the church is looking at us in disgust, seeing just how far we have fallen, and we picture ourselves as an unredeemable terror. Condemnation tries to get us to believe that like him, our purpose is broken and that we shall not be seen or heard anymore. But our story is not his story. No matter the cause of our fall, it says in his word that a righteous man falls seven times but gets back up again, which is good. But Satan, after his own pattern, tries to steal our victory as we walk with Jesus towards a better life. How many times have we seen ourselves in the latter part of Satan's story and broken out of our chains of sin only to seemingly be thrown right back into the pit and the throes of self-destruction shortly after? How many setbacks have stolen our faith and eroded our belief that yes, we are overcomers? It seems we break free for a short season but then we're right back to square one. But there's hope to be found in Proverbs 21:16, the verse above, ESV, saying, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. We, the justified by faith, made righteous by being washed in the blood, sanctified by His Spirit, we may fall seven times but we rise again. 
Satan never does. He wants to make us feel his defeat so that we never have the opportunities that were taken from him and given to us. Things like keeping the glory and worship. Let me tell you the truth with this part of his story, God has not given us fresh starts for nothing and even though we stumble, we do not fall as he. God restores us to our positions when we fail, repent and release our problems to him all over again. Satan stays down, and he knows it. As much as God hates sin, Satan hates us because we were not overtaken by it. He rages and weeps over what he lost and just as misery finds itself loving company, he wants as many people as he can get to feel his pain as their pain and steal their victory. But our story is not his story. His chains cannot be broken, but ours cannot last against the love of an eternal God. In part 2 next week I'm going to be talking about breaking yokes and what it looks like to move beyond the influence of these lies. So move with me. Move with me from the pain of Lucifer's shoes to the peace at God's feet. I know there's a lot to digest here, but I'll leave you now with just one last thought. Who do you get to be in the place of your restoration? This week rejoice in the power of His Spirit and the finality of His judgments. He is in control, and Satan has no power. To read more about the Hebrew word for wickedness, please click on the link below for a more detailed look, https colon slash slash sites.google.com slash site slash Bible Codes today slash wickedness Hebrew.